Well, once again, good morning. And if y'all were here last week, how did y'all like uh, Richard Wynn when he was preaching last week? Who was here? Y'all like that? I just hope I can have that much energy and, and vigor and, man, that I can just still be preaching when I'm 69 years old. I mean, he did an awesome job. If you weren't here, um, Richard Wynn is our district superintendent, and he's, he's pretty much kind of my boss. He's my overseer. And he gave a great message about a time when there was a man who was desperately in need of Jesus' healing touch. And it was a, a sermon of encouragement, and he encouraged us, if you remember the three points, to hold on, don't give up, help is on the way. Hold on, don't give up, help is on the way. And this week I've been thinking about those three things um, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of, of situations that each of us faces. And as I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking that sometimes one of the hardest things in a desperate situation is knowing that help is on the way, but waiting for it to arrive. I don't know if you've ever had to call 911. Anybody in here ever had to call 911? I mean, it's kind of a terrifying experience. Your, your adrenaline kicks in. It, it rings once. It rings twice. It feels like it rings too many times. And then you talk to them on the phone you give them the report, and then maybe they keep you on the line until help comes, or maybe they say, thank you for your report, we're sending somebody. And then you wait, five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. You know help is on the way, but it hasn't arrived yet. And that's a hard spot to be in. Or if you've ever been through surgery, right? If you've ever been through major surgery, you know that on the other side of the surgery, hopefully help is on the way, that you're going to be healed, you're going to be made whole. But before that surgery, there's that period of waiting and preparation, and that can be hard. Or maybe this, maybe some of you have faced kind of dark situations in your life. You've been full of despair. Maybe you've had what they call a dark night of the soul where you, you go through a season where you feel disconnected from God. I've had one of those. And that's a very difficult time because what, what, what happens during that season is I'll be reading in the Bible and I'll be reading stories of Jesus healing people of God delivering people, and I'll be asking for that in my life. And I know that God is faithful and that God will come through. But then there's that period of waiting, knowing that help is on the way, but it hasn't come yet. And in those times, in those times of waiting, in those times of hoping, in those times of desperation, it can be very difficult, it can be very painful, it can feel lonely. And it can feel isolating. And so this morning, I want to give you a message of hope. A message about how to have hope in the midst of hard times in your life. In the waiting, in the darkness, when you feel like you might be all alone. And this message of hope is going to come from a very hard passage in Scripture. And if you've been with us the last number of weeks, you know we're in this series called Famous Last Words, where we're looking at the last words of Jesus that He said upon the cross. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' famous last words where he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And we talked about how Jesus offers this word of forgiveness for those people and for us. And then we talked about the thief on the cross next to Jesus and how Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise, and how Jesus offers us the free gift of salvation if we're willing to receive it. And today we continue looking at some of the famous last words of Jesus upon the cross. And these words are recorded in both Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, their accounts of Jesus' life. 
And we're going to be looking at Mark's account this morning in Mark chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up to Mark chapter 15. And just before this, Mark has told us that it was about 9 a.m. that Jesus was nailed to the cross. And from that time forward, people began yelling, spitting on him, mocking him, cursing him, challenging him. And that's kind of where we pick up in the scripture here. This morning in Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 29. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, that is Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to put yourself in those last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Those hours leading up to this moment. The night before, Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he had prayed to his Father, Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will but your will. And after he was done praying, Judas and a mob came up and he was arrested. He was arrested and then he went to the house of the high priest and there people made up accusations against him. They accused him of blasphemy and things he hadn't done. And there that night, it was very likely that he spent that night alone, isolated and abandoned in an underground chamber, waiting for the next morning. And then the next morning, he was taken out. He was put before the Pontius Pilate And Pontius Pilate ultimately gave the people what they wanted. Jesus crucified on the cross. And Mark tells us that at 9 o'clock a.m. they nailed him there. From 9 to 12, people were yelling. But then we get this image that at about 12 o'clock, the yelling began to fade down. Because a darkness began to cover over the entire land. A supernatural darkness. And from about 12 to 3 o'clock, it was probably quieter. And then at 3 o'clock p.m., Jesus says in his native language, Aramaic, in his desperate time of need, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this picture of Jesus on the cross, this scene here, these last 24 hours of his life, they can be hard for us to think about and to take in and to picture. That's why a lot of us, we saw Passion of the Christ, we just saw it one time and we didn't watch it again. We sometimes avoid depictions of Jesus on the cross. I mean, as Protestant Christians, we're used to seeing a cross like the one over here, right? An empty cross. But if you've ever been in a Catholic church or have Catholic friends who had crucifixes, a cross with Jesus still on it, suffering and bleeding, you know that at times it can make you a little bit uncomfortable, right? It can make us uncomfortable as we look at Jesus in his pain and in his suffering. But this morning, I want to tell you, for this word of hope, we don't need to turn away from Jesus on the cross. Instead, we need to turn towards Jesus on the cross. We need to look at him. We need to face him as he suffers. 
Because it's as we see him on this cross in these final moments, as we hear these famous last words from him, it's then that we receive these words of hope. Because it's there on the cross we discover some things about Jesus. And I want to give you three things that we discover about Jesus in this passage, in these final moments on the cross. And the first is that when we see Jesus on this cross in the final moments, what we see is that in Jesus, we have a friend who shares our feelings. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. In Jesus, we have a friend who shares our feelings. You see, some religions worship a God who is very distant from the world, very set apart and not intimately involved in the day-to-day goings-on of things. And so these gods or this God can feel very disconnected from our lives, but that's not the kind of God that we worship. Instead, the God we worship is the God revealed in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we see a God who is not set apart from this world. We see a God who has stepped into this world. We see a God who knows what's going on in our lives because he's experienced it. We see a God who knows our suffering, who knows our pain, who knows our sorrow because we serve a God in Jesus Christ who has suffered, who's been tortured who's been rejected, who's had friends turn his back on him. We serve a God who knows what we're feeling in difficult times because he's felt it as well. Jesus experienced suffering. Jesus experienced death. Jesus experienced all of that, and so when you're going through it, you can cry out to Jesus confidently, and when you're saying, my God... My God, you can know that Jesus understands what you're going through. And it's okay to express that to him. And maybe you've never been in that place where you've called out to God and you've said to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if you haven't yet, there's probably a moment in your life where you likely will. A lot of people have had those moments. I've had those moments. Jesus had those moments. Even if you're familiar with her story, Mother Teresa had those moments. Mother Teresa, who's now a saint, some of you might have heard this on the news a while back, but about 10 years after her death, they released some of her writings, her letters and journals and notes and other things. One of her friends released them, and when it came out, it was kind of a scandal. It was a scandal, and it was all over the news about Mother Teresa's journals that have now been released, because what these journals revealed is that while Mother Teresa felt very close to to Jesus and to God early on in her life and had some mystical experiences, later she actually began feeling very distant from God. She began to feel like God's presence wasn't with her. She, She couldn't feel it tangibly in her life like she could before. And so in one of her writings, she wrote this. Darkness is such that I really don't see. The place of God in my soul is blank. I long and long for God, and then I feel that He doesn't want me. He isn't there. And this torture and pain, I can't explain. And when people read these words from her, they were upset. They're upset because they thought, well, how can she be a believer and write something like this? How can she be a leader in the church and write something like this? But as she was going through this difficult season, what they call a dark night of the soul, she 
leaned in to God and she began to talk to spiritual mentors. She began to ask them about what was going on and get their guidance. And they encouraged her to continue to serve, to continue to remain faithful. And during that season, Mother Teresa didn't have a weak faith. She actually had a strong faith because she trusted in a God that she couldn't feel. That even though it looked like darkness was around her, she still trusted in God. And over time, some of that darkness faded. And she had her spirit renewed. And on the backside of this experience, she discovered that it was an opportunity for her to connect deeper with Jesus. Jesus, who knew what it was like to feel abandoned by God. And she understood it as an experience that helped connect her deeper and deeper to the poor, people who often felt abandoned by God as well. So I want you to know this morning that whatever you're feeling, whatever you're facing, it's okay to take it to God because God and Jesus Christ knows what's going on. He knows what you're feeling. We don't have a God who's far off and who doesn't understand. We have a God who has come near, who is fully identified with us in this world. And we have a God who understands exactly what we're going through. And so that's the first thing I want you to know. When we look at Jesus on the cross, we discover that in him we have a friend who shares our feelings. But beyond that, we also find this, that we also have a savior from our sins. When we look at Jesus on the cross, they're suffering for us, we discover we have a savior from our sins because in this moment, If you're looking at the text, we find something cosmic, something mysterious, something earth-shattering is going on because this darkness has begun to cover the land. And this wasn't a natural darkness. It was noon. It was noon to 3 o'clock p.m. This darkness is covering the land. And Jesus doesn't just feel abandoned by God. In that moment, Jesus experienced abandonment by God. See, Jesus willingly chose to experience that darkness and separation for a moment so that we'd never have to. And in that moment on the cross where Jesus is crying out to God, what we see happening is God giving us a great gift of grace. Because you see, God looked down at the world and God knew that our sin required judgment. He knew that there was a cost for our sin that needed to be repaid. But God, in his great mercy and in his great grace, said, you know what? I don't want that judgment to go upon my people, upon the people of the world. Instead, I'm going to step into the story, and I'm going to take that judgment upon myself. And so God in Jesus Christ is there on the cross, and in Jesus we find that Jesus is the judge judged in our place. Jesus takes the judgment and the shame and the guilt and the pain and the suffering, all of that that we deserve, he takes that death upon himself so that we don't have to carry it anymore, so that we won't have to experience, so that on the great day of judgment, we can pass through judgment without condemnation and without guilt. We can pass through with freedom. And and this is kind of a hard thing to understand. And Paul, writing on these verses, he says this. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is good news for us because this means that we don't have to live with this guilt and this shame that we often carry around. 
We don't have to live with the fear that one day our sins are going to come back and they're going to haunt us and they're going to find us. We don't have to live with fear that one day we're going to be judged and we're going to be punished for all this because Jesus has taken that upon himself on the cross. He is a savior from our sins. And here's the weird thing. It might not be weird. It's kind of natural for a lot of people. But a lot of times when we're going through suffering, when we're experiencing pain, we interpret it as some kind of divine judgment or punishment from God. And I don't know exactly why we do that, but a lot of us do that. And I'll never forget a time when I was working at a a church in Atlanta, a big church downtown that had a lot of people walk up for assistance. And, And this man, when I got to the church that day, he was camped out at the church. He had walked five miles to get there. And I met the man and I began talking with him and he needed some help um, financially and with some food. So I was willing to help him out. And as I learned more of his story, he began to tell me that he felt like everything he was experiencing, his homelessness, his lack of relationships, his lack of food, all of this, he said that he thought he was experiencing it because he was under a divine curse. Because God was judging him and punishing him for a sin that he had committed many, many years before. And it broke my heart as I saw him there interpreting all of his experiences in this way. And so I said to him, I said, hey, you know, the good news is that in Jesus, we have forgiveness, that you can be forgiven for this sin. You don't have to carry around this guilt and this shame anymore. And he said, oh, no, no, I know. I know that Jesus can forgive us, and I've asked for forgiveness many times. But I don't feel forgiven, and I feel like this is all judgment upon me. And so I had to say to him lovingly and sympathetically, if we confess our sins, God is faithful, and he will forgive us. And I had to also tell him, God right now isn't punishing you. He's not judging you. In that moment on the cross, Jesus took the judgment that we deserved upon himself. And because of his faith, all of that judgment is no longer on him. He's carrying around this burden that he didn't need to carry. And what he was doing is what we so often do. We carry around this guilt and we carry around this shame. We carry around this sense of judgment and it weighs us down and it makes us tired. It makes us despair. And Jesus is saying to us on the cross, give it to me. I've already died for it. I've already taken it upon myself. Release it. Set it down. I am the Savior of your sins. You don't have to carry them anymore. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. That's good news that I don't have to carry that anymore. So that's the second thing that we see is that in Jesus on the cross, we have a Savior from our sins. And the final thing I want you to see is that in Jesus on the cross, we also see that we have a Redeemer who reigns forever. And this point can be kind of hard to to see in this passage because we see Jesus suffering, we see this darkness covering the land, and because the Jewish people of that time, they they knew the scriptures a lot better than we do. But what we find here, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. 
These weren't words that he just invented. He's going back to the scripture. And in their day, kind of like ours, when somebody would say the first words of a psalm, the people would begin thinking about the next words of the psalm. And they would kind of have the whole context in mind. It's the same for Jesus, right? If I said to you this morning, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, right? You have it in your mind. And so here when Jesus is crying out and he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's using the words that David wrote many, many years before. Words that David wrote in the midst of his darkness, in the midst of his despair. But we find that they connect intimately with Jesus' current situation. Because when we go on in the psalm, we read this. We read the psalmist saying, why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. They divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots for my garment. These words in this psalm reflect the reality of Jesus and the pain and the suffering he was going through. But what we find in the psalm is that it doesn't just reflect the darkness that Jesus was going through. The psalm moves from this word of darkness and despair to this word of trust and this word of hope. And the psalm, as it continues, it progresses. And in the end, we find these words of hope. We find the psalmist writing, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This psalm moves from darkness and desperation to this word of trust and this word of hope. And I want you to see that even on the cross, as Jesus was crying out, my God, my God, there might have been a loss of contact, but there wasn't a loss of faith. Jesus is still calling out to God and saying, you are my God. You are my God. I am worshiping you because Jesus knew that this wasn't the end of the story. And if you're not familiar with Jesus' life, I don't want you to think the cross was the end of his story either. Because Jesus, time and time again to his disciples, he said this, I will be mocked, I will be spat upon, I will be flogged, and I will be killed. But on the third day, I will rise Again. And he did. That's the good news that we celebrate at Christians. Not just that Jesus died for us, but that he also rose again for us. And when he rose again, he was vindicated. He was vindicated as the king of this world, the one who could defeat sin, who could defeat death, who could defeat the darkness. And after he rose again from the grave, he ascended into heaven where he now reigns as Lord forever. Lord over heaven and earth. And because Jesus is the redeemer of this world, he is a redeemer who reigns forever, we can know that whatever darkness we're facing, it isn't the end. Whatever wilderness we're in, it isn't the end. Whatever period of waiting we're in, it isn't the end. Because Jesus is our redeemer who reigns forever, we know that our end isn't here and now. Our end ultimately is in his eternal kingdom. A kingdom that has no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. 
No more guilt, no more shame. That's our ultimate end. But even now, even now before we get to that end, Jesus wants us to know that he is with us, that he is for us. And even if we can't feel his presence, that it's there. Because he lived for us, he died for us, and he rose again for us. And when we come to Holy Communion, which we do pretty regularly here at this church, we're reminded of these truths about Jesus Christ. Because when we come to the Lord's table, what happens is we remember that Jesus is a friend who shares our feelings. Because we remember that on the cross, Jesus' body was broken for us. That's what he said to his disciples in that meal and he shared with them. He not only said that, he also said, this is my blood which is shed for you. We remember the suffering that Jesus went through. And we remember that because of his suffering, we're not alone in our suffering. But then we also remember that when Jesus picked up that cup and gave it to his disciples, he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink of this, remember that, that you have been forgiven from your sins, that I am the judge who has taken on the judgment so that you wouldn't have to, so that you could be set free. And then we remember that in Jesus we have a Redeemer who reigns forever because this meal, it doesn't just look back to the cross and to the Last Supper that He shared with His disciples. It also looks forward. It looks forward to the day when we will share in God's heavenly banquet. When we will share at a table with Christ, when we will share at a table with the thief on the cross, when we will share at a table with all those saints who have gone on before us in heaven. And we will share in a meal and we will celebrate and we will worship God with people of all nations, all ages, all races, all tongues, all tribes, all nations. This meal also helps us to look forward to that day, knowing that Jesus still reigns. And one day his kingdom will come in its fullness. And so this morning, as we come to this table, I want to let you know that if you're coming this morning and you're struggling in life, and you feel like you're in that darkness, that you're welcome here. Because it's here in your suffering that Jesus meets you. And if you're coming to this table today and you're full of hope, you're full of joy, you're full of trust, and, and you feel God's presence intimately, you're welcome here as well. And if you're somewhere in between, God invites you to this table so that you can experience his love, his grace, and his mercy that we see in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross for us, and Jesus, who rose again in final victory. And so now we're going to stand and we're going to sing this final song, and the children are going to come in. And so if you have a child, you can look for them as they come in. And during this final song, I invite you to prepare your hearts to come and to receive this gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand and sing?